If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 133 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we talk with marketing and customer experience expert Jay Baer. Many listeners may be familiar with Jay, but whether you are or aren't, you're definitely going to want to listen in for his insights into how to create marketing, customer service, and customer experience that customers love enough to talk about. But before diving into the conversation with Jay, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the second quarter of 2018. And that sponsor is Review My LMS, a collaboration between our company, Tagoras, and 100 Reviews, the company that's behind the very successful Review My AMS site. As the name suggests, Review My LMS is a site where users can share and access reviews of learning management systems. But in this case, the focus is specifically on systems that are a good fit for learning businesses, meaning organizations that market and sell lifelong learning. Contribute to a review and you will get access to all existing and future reviews, and there are already more than 100 on the site. And if you don't have a review to contribute, there's also a subscription option. So go to Review My LMS just to get the details. For our resource for this episode, we're going to point you to the Convince and Convert blog. This is the blog started many years ago by Jay Bear, our guest for this episode. And frankly, if you aren't already subscribed, you should be. Convince and Convert is one of a handful of must-read marketing blogs on our list. It's one we link to regularly in our Leading Learning newsletter. And so for this, no need to go to the show notes, um, although we will make sure to post a link to it there as well. But you can just go straight to the source at convinceandconvert.com slash blog. Now, Jeff, I know Jay is someone you've followed for years. Will you tell us a little bit um, about the conversation and some of the highlights from your conversation with him? Definitely. I mean, first of all, Jay was just a great guy to talk to. You, know, you always hope that's going to be the case when you, you know, finally meet somebody that you've been following for a long time. And that was, in fact, the, the, the case here. Uh, interesting, uh, very likable. You know, and uh, he's somebody that I, I really identify with the whole world of digital marketing, as I'm sure many people do. But it was interesting. It came up very early in the conversation and, and certainly rang true that uh, the topics that he's covering, even though he takes the digital perspective on them, are really, I mean, they're perennial topics, basically. So, you know, how do you represent yourself to your prospective customers in a way that's that's actually useful, that's not, you know, salesy, basically, that, that's going to make them want to do business with you. That's certainly the focus of his book, Utility, and, and a, a lot of his work. And then, you know, looking at... Uh, uh, you know, once you've once you've got those customers, how do you interact with them in a way that's going to to keep them around? He looks at traditional topics like customer service. His next book is going to be on word of mouth marketing, which is arguably the the oldest form of marketing that there there possibly is. And obviously, all of these have been uh, impacted by by digital, by what the the internet and the web make possible. But the the fundamentals haven't changed. But but Jay brings out that, that fresh perspective to them. He situates them in the world we live in right now. And, you know, if you are running a learning business, if you're, if you're, you know, trying to attract those customers in the first instance, and then engage with them and then keep them over time, they're just some real pearls of wisdom in, in, in this conversation and, uh, and in Jay's work in, in general. So 
great conversation. I, I think that uh, the listeners are really going to like this one. Well, it sounds like a great conversation. So let's go ahead and roll the interview with Jay Bear. Hello out there. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. And today I'm talking with Jay Bear. Jay is someone I very much look up to as a marketer and as a speaker, and I actually want to use a slightly modified version of his excellent speaker introduction as the way to introduce him to Leading Learning listeners. Jay Bear helps businesses clone their customers. He has created five multi-million dollar companies and is a seventh generation entrepreneur. He's the president of Convince and Convert, a consulting firm that helps the world's most iconic brands like the United Nations, Nike, 3M, and Oracle use technology to win new customers and keep the customers they've already earned. A New York Times bestselling author of five books, Jay is the host of the award-winning Social Prose podcast. He's also an avid tequila collector and a certified barbecue judge. Jay Bear, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. Jeff, thank you so much. Delighted to be here. I appreciate the warm introduction. I was hoping that we would have tequila and or barbecue here on the show, but evidently uh, that's only for a return appearance, apparently. Well, we are going to have to talk about barbecue at some point because I think there's probably a, a standoff between North Carolina barbecue and that Midwestern type of barbecue that I think you're you're more familiar with. But uh, Indeed, indeed. But we can dig into that a little bit later. Right. So <laughs> I, I know, you know that uh, listeners are probably just uh, stopping applauding right now after that introduction, and uh, hopefully any who were driving have pulled off on the side of the road. But <laughs> you, uh, just, I mean, by just about any standard, you're, you're an accomplished guy. You know, your, your introduction makes that clear. I, I'd love to know a little bit more about the, the foundation of, of that accomplishment. I'd love uh, listeners to know a little bit more about that. Uh, you know, what, what happened in your earlier life that, that led you to be an entrepreneur and, and someone who's just clearly so passionate about marketing? Well, I kind of come by it naturally. I'm a seventh generation entrepreneur. So in my family, you know, being an entrepreneur wasn't really an optional exercise. It was always mm-hmm. sort of assumed that as soon as you're ready or or the world is ready, you you kind of go out and do your own thing. And so that that was kind of always the path that I was set upon uh, in in ways that I really had, I don't think I really had much of a choice actually. Uh, and and so that's been uh, really really useful to to sort of grow up in an environment where entrepreneurship is more expected as opposed to some really unusual uh, set of circumstances that that you aspire to. Um, so that's that's really been useful. And then I have been extraordinarily fortunate in that before I started my own companies, I was just really, really lucky, worked for uh, four or five people in a row who I would consider to be just absolutely outstanding managers, mm. really excellent at, at lifelong learning, at inspiring and motivating uh, personnel, at making good hiring and strategic decisions. You know how, Jeff, sometimes you find in sports somebody who becomes a good coach or a manager, it, is that because they played for a bunch of good coaches and managers and, and sort of took the best in, in bits and pieces from each of the people that they played for? That's kind of how I look at it. I, I was really lucky, uh, and, and it really is just good fortune, that the essentially every job I ever had until I started my own company, I worked for somebody who is absolutely first rate, and that is uh, that's worth its weight in gold. 
That, that that definitely is uh, the, the best way to come uh, uh, come up through anything, and it's it's interesting to me that you come from that uh, that entrepreneurial background that that was actually expected in your family. I, I still struggle to explain to uh, my family what it is I do as a, as an entrepreneur. Um, it's kind of alien territory, but uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm the first generation of many. I'll I'll hope that's the go. case. Yeah. So now I, you know I think of you as as someone who is on the forefront of identifying how marketing is changing. You're always identifying these, these, these shifts that are happening. And, and I definitely want to talk about some of those as part of this uh, conversation today. But I'm wondering, you know, thinking back, you know, a decade or, or, or so ago, I mean, it seems like a, a big shift occurred at some point in just how marketing happens, uh, what customer expectations are. When, when did you first tune into the fact that, that something big w- was happening w- with marketing? Well, I, I think if you look at sort of a digital transformation is really the fulcrum for all of those shifts. I guess one inflection point might reasonably be um, sort of 1992, three, four, when we first started getting serious about the internet and uh, people being co- you know connected to a network via, in many cases at that point, America Online or Prodigy or CompuServe. I started in the internet business in 1993, mm. uh, had had no idea what I was doing. Um, in fact, I I, I was my, my, my one job that I had that was not for a great manager, uh, I was the spokesperson for the Department of Juvenile Corrections for the state uh. of Arizona. So my job was to give tours of the juvenile prison system, which uh, is even less awesome than I made it sound in the prior sentence. And I did not want to work for the government. Being a, a, a entrepreneur, um, uh, at least a budding entrepreneur, that culture was not very supportive of, of thinking outside the box. And most government, most government organizations aren't. And I would say the prison system even less so. So I, uh, I was sort of bemoaning that fact and I was having beers with some friends of mine from college and, and, uh, I said, man, I, I would do just about anything to not give another tour of this prison. And they said, well, that's funny you say that because we have this fast-growing internet company mm. uh, and we don't know anything about marketing. And I said, well, that's fine because when you say the word internet, I don't really know what you mean by that <laughs> uh, because at that point, I think I'd only been on America Online. And I said, you know what, but I don't care. Walked to the next day, quit my, my job, started working as the vice president of sales and marketing for an internet company, having never been on the open internet, which was an interesting uh, first day of work, that is for sure. Now, I, would, I could say that you know in that first week, I, I realized that the internet was going to change everything, and it was going to change consumer expectations and obviously change marketing. But that's not true, uh, because we were buying domain names for free. Uh, I mean, nobody... <laughs> I spent the first three years of my career in the internet business, convincing businesses that they needed a website because who would want such a thing, right? right. You'd be like, Hey, and you could be in touch with your customers 24 hours a day. Like, well, why would we want to do that? We're closed at six. You know, I mean, it was these yeah. are the conversations that I was having over and over and over. So I wish I could say that, you know, the, the first day on the job working in the internet business, I knew it was going to transform everything. And that is absolutely a lie. Uh, it, it definitely took a while for me to see it and, and a while for everybody to see it. Well, eventually it did change everything, though, um, uh, or at least what it made possible changed everything. And and I think that's been really kind of the, the foundation of your work with Convince and Convert and, and, and with the books you've written. And, um, you know, as I, uh, we were talking before this, I'd love to take people on sort of a, a 
mini tour of, of some of your big ideas for, for folks who aren't familiar with them or who just need to, uh, need to dig into them more than, than maybe they have. And uh, I won't jump all the way back to the beginning, but I will jump back a, a few years because I, I think when I, I'd been familiar with you for a long time, I think when I really full, fully tuned in um, was when you published Utility, mm-hmm. um, which I, if I recall, that was around 2014. Is that about right for, for that book? Uh, I think that's right, or 13. I'd have yeah. to check, but yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. But uh, so so that that really just en- encapsulated uh, for me just just so much of what was going on at, at that point in time. And could you uh, maybe we'll do this sort of a, a a gallery of big ideas here? Could you, for those who aren't familiar with it, kind of uh, encapsulate the, the the big idea behind utility? And I, and I'll preface by saying for for listeners who may not be familiar with it, when I say utility, that's spelt with a a y o in front of the usual word utility. And as I know you say, Jay, those two letters make all the difference. So yeah. can you, can you tell us about the big idea there? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I think about it. Um, I, I'm just getting ready to publish uh, my sixth book this fall. And, and it came to me the other day that I'm actually, each time I write a book, I'm getting less and less focused on digital and, mm. and more and more focused on, on sort of larger themes that transcend the particular technology. And I didn't do that on purpose. It just sort of happened that way. So my first book, even before utility, is called The Now Revolution, which is all about uh, technology's impact on companies, on workforce, on hiring, on recruiting, etc. Uh, so that one was was inherently about digital. It was about digital transformation. Utility is is about the premise that uh, help beats hype. That mm-hmm. that. If you sell something, you make a customer today. But if you help someone, you can create a customer relationship for life. And that information is how relationships are created now, not so much with people, but with information. And so the best brands out there cut through the enormous messaging clutter that we're faced with by providing resources and information to their customers and prospects that is inherently useful. So we define utility, again, as you mentioned, Y-O-utility, as marketing that is so useful people would pay for it if you asked them to do so. You say, hey, um, this is an amazing podcast. If I charged you $3 a month to access this podcast, would it be worth it to you? That's the definition of, of utility. Lots and lots of case studies and examples in the book of businesses, large, small, B2B, B2C, using usefulness as a competitive advantage. And and now utility and that premise of being useful is is part of the marketing lexicon in uh, hundreds, if not thousands of companies uh, all, over, all over the world. So it, it ended up having a, a big impact, which is gratifying, of course. Well, it's certainly a great mantra to follow to just to, to always be in, incredibly useful. And as you're saying, that, that transcends digital, definitely. Now, as you know, most of the listeners here are in the learning business. They're in the business of uh, marketing, selling, education. And I'll say, and I, and I know this isn't just true of, of, of the folks who are listening here, but it can feel scary to give something of high value away mm-hmm. because you get this feeling, well, if I give this away, then you know, maybe I'm giving away too much, you know, what, what, it, 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 it takes some courage to do that. I think, could, mm-hmm. could you speak a little bit to that and to how somebody who's in the, the education business might think about, uh, utility? Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, courage is the, is the secret recipe. Uh, I talk about that all the time on stage when I do utility presentations that, that the missing ingredient in most organizations is courage because mm. it really comes down to trust. You trust that some portion of the audience to whom you give away value is going to reward you, right? You're giving away information snacks in order to sell information meals down the road. And, and that requires you to trust that some people will reward you for that and also understand that some people are going to consume your free information and give you nothing. It's just the way it works. 
but I would tell you, Jeff, that that I, I'm faced with the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, some speakers uh, will say, well, you you can't, um, you know, you can't get a clip of my speech, or you can't record my video, or you right. can't, um, you know, look at the excerpts of my book, and they're and they're trying desperately to. Uh, kind of keep their cards close to their vest informationally because the the real relationship is if you want to know what I know, you must pay for the privilege. That's essentially what they're saying. Well, when you think that way, you're coming at it from a scarcity mindset instead mm-hmm. of from an abundance mindset. And and that kind of obstacles in front of ideas is by definition the enemy of spread. So if you want your ideas to spread, the best way to do that is to unleash those ideas, to to not put them behind a paywall, but to let them get out there. So, for example, we do lots of consulting in my business for, for big B2B brands. And one of the things we're always harping with our clients on is, hey, if you've got a webinar, a white paper, an ebook, something of value, instead of making somebody give you information to access it, why don't you give them that thing for nothing? And then at the end, say, hey, I hope you enjoyed it. If you want something else that's like this, give us your information now. So you put the information collection mechanism after the value, not mm. in front of the value. Uh, and it's remarkable how much better that works. Now, does that reduce your total number of quote unquote leads? Yes. But the average lead value and the average lead quality goes up right. immeasurably, right? Because it's people who are actually interested in hearing from you a second time, not just uh, a first time. And and one of the real challenges, especially with entrepreneurs and, and people who are in uh, learning and education, is this belief that you've got some kind of secret sauce. Right, like I can't, right. like I can't put this out there because you know then everybody's going to know my proprietary method. Guess what? <laughs> Your method is not proprietary. Like there there is no secret sauce. Right. There is no secrets. You do not have a proprietary method. You do not have something that nobody has ever thought of. You do not have something that somebody else can't instantly copy from you. So why try? Who? I mean, it just it doesn't exist like that. The world doesn't operate like that anymore. Um, so I think you're much better off coming at it from I want to give away what I know one little bite at a time. And then many people will say, that's great. I want you to help me connect all the dots. And mm-hmm. if I can, I know I'm going long here, but I want to give you a quick story. Sure. So it's not in the utility book. It's in a separate book I wrote called Utility for Real Estate, which are the same principles applied to the real estate business. But my friend Joe Manusa is a realtor in Tallahassee, Florida. Unlike most realtors, Joe has a very specific market segment. He only represents sellers. If you want to buy a home, he won't do that. Mm-hmm. He also only represents sellers who have a home between 200000 and 400000 US dollars. In that price point, you typically, not always, but typically don't have a ton of upside equity in your home. So it's very common in that market segment for sellers of real estate to say, well, I could use a realtor to sell this, or I could try to sell it myself, and I could keep that sweet, sweet 6% commission. Mm Mm-hmm. Follow me? So 99.5% of realtors do exactly what you said, Jeff. They create a website that says, you know what? Behold the all-knowing and all-seeing power of the professional realtor. I have information and expertise that you could not possibly manage. You need me in order to sell your home. Joe Manessa does the opposite because he understands the power of utility. Joe Manessa wrote a 62-page free, downloadable, don't even need to supply an email address, ebook. He merchandises it all over his website. The ebook is called How to Sell a Home on Your Own. And it is exactly step by step how to sell a home without a realtor. So I interviewed him for the book. I said, Joe, I don't understand this. 
you are literally giving people the specific formula to not hire you. He said, Jay, that's true. But what you don't understand is that people get to about page 21 and they say, holy cow, is yeah. it hard to sell a home? There's no way I can do this. Yeah. I, have, I don't have the time for this. It is his number one source of new customers because on every page is his name and his email address and his phone number. That's how utility works. That's great. That that's a fantastic story, and I, I, you know, I do feel like I come across so many people, so many organizations that are so bent on protecting their, you know, quote intellectual property, and they put so much time and effort into that that if they just put that effort into, you know, sharing it in the way that you're describing, um, and then you know reaping the benefits from doing that, they would be so much further ahead. Uh, but you know, to back to your point, you know, it, it takes courage, and uh, somebody's got to make the, make the move to make that part of the culture, and it just doesn't happen quite often enough. Uh, still. So, well, fantastic. So that's, that's utility, big, big idea there, you know, uh, really taking usefulness to heart. And, uh, and as you mentioned, that's not necessarily digital, though digital helps make, you know, being useful, uh, a lot easier and a lot more scalable in many instances. Your your next book though, I think continuing that uh, idea of, I mean, really kind of a traditional sort of thing, um, getting into the customer service realm with, uh, with hug your haters. And yeah. uh, I mean, customer service, very, very, you know, that, that certainly precedes digital, but again, digital has kind of impacted that because everybody has a voice now and those customers Entirely. can complain. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the, the big idea behind hug your haters? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's customer service has been around since the first caveman sold a rock to another caveman right. and wasn't happy with the size of the rock. Uh, and there's lots of great customer service books out there, but, but, until I wrote Hug Your Haters, there really wasn't a modern customer service book. And Mm. and what I mean by that is is increasingly, and I actually did a lot of first-party research for the book, increasingly we're seeing more and more customer interactions taking place in public. So instead of contacting a business via phone, email, face-to-face, fax, you know, um, complaint letter, you know, that was a thing at one point, um, we're seeing an increasing share of customer contacts taking place on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram now, uh, messaging apps, ratings and review sites, discussion boards and forums, Yelp, TripAdvisor, Angie's List, Google Reviews, blah, 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 blah. So the implication there is that customer service is now a spectator sport. You're not just interacting with the customer, you're interacting with the customer and then tens or hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people see that interaction, which changes the financial implication for customer service dramatically, Mm. has a much bigger impact on customer retention and even customer acquisition than ever before. And because it's happening so often online, customers' expectations for speed, for empathy, for resolution, for complaint handling, for for channel shifting, all these things are much different than they used to be. And so what I say on stage a lot is like, look, if you have a department in your company that is either officially or colloquially known as the call center, you're going to have to make some changes because eventually nobody is going to use the telephone for customer service. And you're going to have to fundamentally change the way you think about customer service, A, by making it more important in the fabric of your organization, and B, changing the actual operations and tactics that you use to interact with your customers. Right, right. And I think as as you put it, uh, I mean, you've got these complainers that you sort of characterized as as haters uh, out there because they're they're the ones who are you know saying bad things uh, about yeah. the company. But as you put it, they're not really your problem. Um, ignoring them is your problem. You really you really yeah. can't afford to ignore these people. No, it's, and and obviously, I believe that just from a karma standpoint, you're better off interacting with with unhappy customers. I just think it's the right thing to do, quote unquote. But that's that's not a business case. Mm. In the research, we discovered two interesting things. One that one-third of all customer complaints are never answered. Wow. 
And I suspect that's happened to you, Jeff. I'm sure you yep. have complained to a business and heard nothing back. And I'm going to also assume that that did not make you feel better about that organization. Definitely not. No, right? And and so, um, as my friend Shep Hyken says, a customer you ignore is a customer you should be prepared to lose. Right. And he's he's totally right about that, right? You were essentially pouring gas on a fire of your own creation at that point. Um, and, and what we modeled in the research, we talked to 2,000 people about the science of complaint and found that if you answer a customer complaint, it increases their advocacy as measured on a net promoter score, uh, net promoter score scale mm. by 25% or more. Even if you can't fix the problem, you just said, I hear you. Right. Conversely, if you don't answer the complaint, you just blow it off. It decreases their advocacy by 50%. So you can essentially kiss that customer goodbye. And one of the most amazing psychological phenomenon in all of business, Jeff, is this. A customer who has a problem that you successfully solve buys more and is more loyal than customers who never had a problem at all. I, I've heard that. And that, that is an amazing statistic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm thinking to, you know, tie, tying this back again to our listeners here at Leading Learning, people who are in the education business. I mean, we talked about utility and, you know, giving away value. And, and, and certainly people who are in the education business usually have a lot of information, value that yep. they can give away in advance. This one, Hug Your Haters, I'm thinking, you know, a, a lot of the times where those those complaints, those interactions with customers come in is through evaluations, through event evaluations, oh, through course so evaluations, you know, and I don't think I've ever responded to a course or event and actually had somebody contact me and say, hey, about that, you know, about that comment yes. you made, we want to do something about that. Um, so it seems like fertile, fertile ground for, uh, for absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And, and I, the one thing I will tell you, having, you know, run and merchandise many online courses myself, et cetera is sometimes you get complaints, right? People say, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't, I didn't like the course, or it was too hard, or it was too easy, or it was too expensive, or it was too cheap, it was too, it was too whatever. And some of my friends are also um, in that information business. And what I have heard consistently is something along these lines, Jeff. I got this complaint from this one person who said X, Y, Z. The implication being that this particular customer slash student is is an edge case, that this person mm-hmm. has a view of the course or the information that is way outside the norm and that they are an outlier. The math doesn't back that up. Right. The math says that for every 100 dissatisfied customers, only five will complain to you. Wow. So what that means is that on average, for every complaint you get about whatever, course is too expensive, on average, 19 other people had the exact same problem, but just didn't say anything to Mm -hmm. you. And this is becoming an even more egregious issue because the one thing the internet has done is made us all passive aggressive. Right. Very few people actually take the time now to actually complain. They just disappear. They just, you know, talk about you behind your back or they just leave the course or cancel or get their money back or don't come back again or whatever the circumstances are. Right. But there's not that many people who actually say, you know what, I want to talk to Jeff about this. And they're going to call you or email you or or tweet you or Skype you or whatever. It's a minority. And and those people are actually doing us an enormous favor. Yeah. The people who take their time to tell us what we can do better are our most important customers, yet we uniformly treat them like our least important customers, which is why I say on stage all the time, Jeff, good companies tolerate negativity and great companies seek it out. 
Mm. Definitely, definitely. And uh, yeah, it makes me realize I, I, I've had times, I mean, it's painful, you know, it's, uh, of course it's painful. It it feels like somebody's telling you your baby's ugly and nobody wants to hear that. Even if your baby is manifestly ugly, but if you can take it and if you can, you know, say, okay, I'm going to be objective about this. Listen to this person. You, I mean, you can get so much out of that. You know, it's gold. It's gold. You just gotta, you know, you gotta get, you gotta get the the rage out of your eyes. uh, (laughs) And then, and then it's gold. Well, great. So we've got, um, then we've talked about usefulness. We've now, you know, talked about, uh, really just a, a new way of, uh, kind of being with our, with our customers, uh, interacting with those customers. And that brings us up to the, the present, I guess, where you're, you're now working on your next book and we'll sort of use that as our final stop on this, uh, this tour of, uh, of Jay Bear's big ideas. That's going to be called uh, Talk Triggers, if I understand correctly. Yeah, we'll, we'll book is uh, yeah. Yeah, October 2nd, officially, okay. uh, available for pre-order now uh, on, on Amazon. Talk Triggers, the complete guide to creating customers with word of mouth, written with my dear friend and strategist, Daniel Lemon. Um, and word of mouth is the oldest form of marketing. Right. It's still the most effective form of customer acquisition. We believe each other far more than we believe messaging from organizations. And and word of mouth is so incredibly important uh, financially. The the newest research shows that 19% of the entire U.S. economy is driven directly by word of mouth. It's approximately $6.5 trillion. And more than half of all purchases are at least influenced by word of mouth. No other form of marketing has anywhere even remotely close to that share of influence. Yet, and here's the part that's crazy, Jeff, and why we wrote the book, 100% of the people listening to us right now care about word of mouth. 100% of you care about what people say about you, your organization, your information. Yet, 0% of you have an actual word of mouth strategy. Right. You might have a digital strategy, you might have a social strategy, you might have a content strategy, you might have a paid social strategy, you might have an influencer strategy, you might have a crisis strategy, you might have a public relations strategy. You do not have a word of mouth strategy. Nobody does. How come? That's why we wrote the book. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I know, I mean, basically, in the, if I understand correctly, in the book, um, and I know this is in your speaking about it too, you you're providing a process, you're providing a structure mm-hmm. to say, here, here is how we go about it to, to actually do this on purpose rather than just, you know, having it happen ad hoc. Yeah. You, you have to have come up with something that is talkable mm-hmm. in the parlance of the book, right? So what, what most people do in lieu of having a word of mouth strategy is they just focus on, on, on operations and say, well, we're just going to be a good business. We're going to have good food. We're going to provide good customer service. Mm. Good is a four-letter word when it comes to word of mouth. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> I love like, that. Nobody says, nobody ever says, hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I had last <laughs> night. Like it doesn't happen, right? So uh, same is lame. If you want to create word of mouth, you have to do something different that people notice. It has to be talkably different. Competency does not create conversation. It has to be more than that. So tons and tons of case studies and examples in the book. And as you said, it's a system. We call it the four, five, six system. So the four things that must be true for your differentiator to be a talk trigger, five different types of talk triggers from which you can select, and then a six-step process for how to discover and implement them in your own organization. And we're doing a lot of consulting for companies around this as well. And and one of our uh, clients is a a brand called Superior Glove. Hmm. 
Superior Glove is the largest manufacturer of work gloves in North America. They're based in Canada, and and they make more than 200 kinds of gloves. So for every conceivable job, like rodeo clown to like oil derrick, you know, foreman, like every conceivable job, they have gloves. Their competitors are mostly from Asia, uh, undercutting them on price, but not as good of quality. So we said, what we need is a talk trigger to really make people understand that Superior Glove is different slash better than the other gloves on the market and therefore worth the premium price. So we went through the whole talk triggers process and and we came up with uh, an amazing talk trigger, which is now on the back of all the gloves, there's a little patch. And if you scratch it, it smells like maple syrup. Ha. That's great. Right? Uh, one of my favorite small business examples that I think listeners will, will relate to, there's a, there's a restaurant in Sacramento, California called Skip's Kitchen. Skip's is a counter service restaurant. So you walk to the front and you place your order. They give you a number and then they bring your, your food out to your table when it's ready. Well, Skip's has an extraordinary talk trigger where after you place your order, you say, okay, I want uh, two patty melts, two onion rings, two chocolate shakes. They pull a deck of cards out from under the counter and they fan the cards out face down in front of you. And they say, Jeff, pick a card. And if you pick the Joker, your entire meal is free. Hmm. And if you don't get the Joker, you get eight of clubs. That's the number that you put on your table. Like eight of clubs, here's your patty melts. Skip's Kitchen has been in business for nine years. They have done a grand total of zero dollars and zero cents worth of advertising in that period of time. They just got named the 29th best hamburger restaurant in the United States. Wow. Their entire marketing plan and their entire word of mouth plan is the Joker. On average, <laughs> on average, three people a day win. And when those people win, they go crazy, right? They're, they're putting it on Facebook, uh-huh. they're putting it on Instagram, live videos, calling their mom, taking selfies with their patty melt, putting reviews on Yelp and TripAdvisor. It is the engine that propels the entire thing. That's great. It's just a simple talk trigger. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Well, we may, uh, if, if you're up for it, we may have to have you back in the fall to have a, an episode specifically dedicated to talk yeah, triggers because powerful stuff. So, and if, you, you know, it's, it applies to everybody. It's, it's, it's the one thing that every business needs yeah, and, absolutely. and no business has, weirdly. Abs- yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to take a dose of that myself. Definitely. So, uh, but to, to, to wrap up our conversation today, um, is I think, you know, we ha- we have, one question that we like to ask of everybody who comes on Leading the Learning, since we, yeah, since we are the Leading Learning Podcast, we have to ask a, yes. a learning question, and that is, <laughs> you know, what is one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your formal education? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, um, the, 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 I'm going to answer this two ways. Okay. First, uh, I started in politics, which you may not know. Oh, wow. Prisons and, and politics. Uh, oh, yeah, so. yeah uh, politics first and then prisons is a natural progression. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I was a, a political science major and was a political campaign consultant as a young man, ran political campaigns. And, and uh, one of my clients back then, when uh, I worked for Senator John McCain oh. um, from Arizona originally, right. and, and, and following him around and seeing how he interacts with people in different situations and, and how even though um, 
uh, you know, he's a polarizing figure, as all politicians are at some level. Mm-hmm. Just sort of, sort of how he handles his business and how he uh, just goes about his day to day was exceptionally uh, useful for me and an, an extraordinary learning experience. Especially, I think I was 21, 22 when I started working um, for Senator McCain. So it was, it was really formative and uh, an experience that I'm really, really glad I had. And then, on, in a more modern sense, I think I have quite literally maybe the best learning lab in the world. Uh, because on the consulting side, my team and I are working with dozens of really interesting brands every day, right? So I learn right. from each of them. And then on the speaking side, I'm out there doing 60, 70 presentations a year with different organizations, right? Yesterday, I was in Las Vegas doing a presentation for thousands of people who owned movie theaters all over the world. Uh, you know, and, and so mm. you learn enough to be dangerous about a lot of different things in the role that I have. And, and I would not trade it uh, for anything. It is, it is amazing. That's great. I can, I can identify with both of those. I hadn't really thought of it until you said it, but, um, I actually interned with the, the Senate Commerce Science and Transportation Committee when I was around yeah. 20, 21 years old. And I followed Fritz Hollings around the sure. senator from, uh, yes. uh, South Carolina at the time. And it was, it was remarkable to, to watch, you know, a seasoned politician in action. You can, you can learn a ton from that. People so, do not get to the center on accident. I'll tell no, you that. No, definitely uh, not. It, definitely you know, not. you gotta have, uh, you gotta have the right temperament and you gotta have the right personality. I think some of those folks overstay their welcome. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like a Supreme Court appointment now it's hard to dislodge a sitting senator and so sometimes people get to be uh, old and crotchety and the magic that got him there is no longer present but um uh yeah it, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to watch from the sidelines and i also learned as perhaps you did as well jeff after about 45 minutes of service um i decided i never wanted to run for anything definitely, um, definitely above, yeah. above mayor i'm like no way yeah. uh, i couldn't read hug your haters enough times uh, yeah. to uh, to handle that Definitely. I, I hear you on that. So, well, Jay, thanks so much uh, for, for joining us today. Um, if listeners want to know more about your work, uh, maybe even get some tips on tequila and barbecue from you. Um, I know there's a lot of places to find you on the web. Where would you direct folks to? Well, for, for information about about marketing, customer service, customer experience, word of mouth, convinceandconvert.com is the best place. That's our uh, award-winning digital magazine. We have a, n- a network right. of podcasts and webinars and videos and all that. And then my site for, for speaking and things like that is jbear.com, B-A-E-R. Excellent. Well, Jay, thanks so much again for coming on to Leading Learning. I loved it. Thanks so much for having me. Lots of fun and uh, good, good luck to everybody out there. Anything you need, let me know. Happy to help. That wraps up the interview with Jay Baer. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 133. This includes a link where we're going to point you to that Convince and Convert blog that we mentioned as the resource for this episode. And while you're there, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. Very easy to get there and just fill out the ratings, fill out the reviews. We really appreciate it because, you know, A, it helps us know that you're getting value out of the podcast. And B, when those ratings are there, it's going to make it so much more likely that when someone goes looking for a podcast that relates to the learning business, we're going to pop up and they're going to be in the right place and they're going to find out about leading learning. So take just a minute and go and give us a rating and review. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Review My LMS. 
Jeff and I put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast. And one of the reasons we're able to commit that time and energy is because we're able to generate revenue through other sources like Review My LMS. So please give ReviewMyLMS.com a visit. And if you can, contribute a review to help others find the right platform for their learning business. And last, but very, very far from least, consider telling others about the podcast. You can, of course, just walk to the office next door or walk down the street and shout it out, but you can also use social media. You can send a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, just use the language that pops up when you do that leadinglearning.com share thing and put it in a LinkedIn, put it in a Facebook, whatever your network of choice is, but please spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.